Well, it's uh, wonderful to be with you all this morning. Um, I, we're staying in the accommodation here in the church, and which we are very grateful for uh, all the hospitality that uh, that has been poured upon us. We are deeply grateful. I was looking out the window, uh, just at the back there, and I, I just look, looking at the buildings and saying, "Isn't God so faithful?" Um, I think it was about 16 years ago um, you had asked me to come up and speak in the market square, I think, just here. Uh, and uh, Jackie was so scared, she'd wish she wouldn't come up. <laughs> not, not of you folk here. <laughs> so she, and so we often recount that story of God's faithfulness. Isn't God wonderful? His mercy, what, what the Lord can do. Uh, when you look through the years, uh, His faithfulness, uh, you, you can see many battles that we face, difficulties, trials, but God is faithful and He does not change. Isn't that wonderful to just even to, to consider that, to meditate on those things and recognize and understand that He is faithful. He, he's the same God that heard our cry uh, whenever that was, when we called upon his name, praise God. I'm just going to ask the Lord for his help. Move my mic down, okay. Okay. Just going to ask the Lord for his help in prayer. Do you want God to speak to you this morning? Well, don't look to me. Look to the Lord, that, that he would open up the word of God to your heart. I believe the Lord has just given me a collection of thoughts from his word this morning. And let, let's, let's look to God that he would speak to each one of us this morning. God can speak to every individual here this morning. Everyone. Not just for the person next to you, but for you. Uh, and I encourage you this morning, have faith in God. Father, as we come around your word, we are conscious, Lord, that even right across this island, Lord, there are many gathering to hear the word of God. Preachers expounding the word of God. Many coming to listen to hear. Perhaps many are just going through a religious routine. But Lord, there suffice to say there are many, Lord, gathering on the word of God. And Lord, we so need you in this hour, Lord. I need you, Lord. Everybody here listening to my voice needs you this morning. And I pray, Lord... Breathe upon the word of God, Lord, that we would not just default into what we so often hear, Lord, ritualistically or whatever, Lord, from just going to church and just attending gatherings. But Lord, speak to us today, Lord God. Open up your word to our hearts, Lord, for we know, Lord, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Praise God. I think the last time that I spoke in the church here was to do with faith and forgiveness and healing and how all of those are linked. Uh, I'm not going to preach in that sermon again, <laughs> but um, it's been stirring my heart, that whole aspect of faith and how important it is for us as Christians, as believers in God, to Live by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And we rattle it off so easily, don't we? But do we stop and consider what we're saying? Are we living by faith every day of our lives? It's easy to slot into a routine, isn't it? You come on a Sunday morning, you go on a Sunday night, you go to a Wednesday night, you go to the prayer meeting, and you can be in, in a kind of an autopilot. 
But I'd like to disturb that autopilot this morning by God's grace. Matthew 9 verse 2 says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. That's always fascinated me, how their demonstration of faith produced the words from Jesus when he saw their faith, your, your sins are forgiven. And he goes on further to prove, is it in order that you might know that your sins are forgiven, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And how important it is for us to be constantly exercising faith in our Christian lives. You look across the landscape of our society today, what we've all gone through with this pandemic, it has shaken so much across the world. It has caused so many different reactions. And in one way, there's nothing like a crisis, difficulty, for revealing things or shaking things up a bit. How we respond is often a reflection of the condition of our hearts. The things we face, the things we go through, they simply often reveal what's going on inside. And a great, one of the greatest examples of that is the, when the 12 spies went in to spy out the land. Uh, 10 came back with a, an evil report and 2 came back with a good report. Yet they all saw the same thing. I firmly believe that Joshua and Caleb brought a report out of the condition of their hearts. And you know, we can all attend a gathering, a meeting, and we can articulate what happened in that meeting or a gathering. But really, we may we, we all see the same thing, but we can have, all have a different angle to it. And sometimes that angle can be a reflection of what's going on inside. That's a scary thought. And that, how we respond to these things can often be a reflection of what's going on. Many hearts have been laid bare over this past year. Fear has been a strong element in much of our society. You can see how an atmosphere like this is paving the way or dovetailing the way to something more sinister. I don't know how soon that's coming on board. I don't have a word concerning that for this morning. But we can all see how things are pointing in a direction that's biblical. We see it in the end times. We see what God's word says. And there's much speculation to what's going on, particularly in the Christian scene. Talks about great reset. Are we entering a tribulation? End times uh, comes to a particular focus. As, as the earth is racing towards judgment, there is a judgment coming. There is a time when the wrath of God will be poured out. That's certain. But what are we to do today? How are we to face things that we're facing? Various church leaders, pastors, preachers all across the globe have many things that they believe God is saying to them. I don't know uh, of anyone who predicted what we've just come through or what we're going through. It's, it's, it's strange how so many of us are were caught out maybe in, in many aspects. But one thing is certain. It's getting everybody's attention. It's got everybody's attention and there have been multitudes of reactions to it. And it's affecting everyone and has affected everyone. I'm sure, like, um, like, like myself, you may have uh, been sent various links 
on uh, various thoughts from this preacher and that preacher, this various interpretations of what's going on from multiple sources, and your head would be literally wrecked if you watched every one of them. So much, so much information. But I'd like to pass on a link from God's Word this morning that really is all that, what does God have to say in the hour of which we're living. That's really what matters. What does God have to say to you? And what does God have to say to me? The churches in Revelation, God has something specific to say to each one of them. God has something specific to say to every single one of you this morning, if you're willing to hear it. If you're willing to hear it. If you would say in your heart, God, I want you to speak to me this morning. I don't care what sort of a week you've had, or what sort of a past you've had, but if you exercise faith in God this morning and you ask God to speak to you, I guarantee you He'll speak to you. Make sure you exercise faith in God and He will speak to you. God's Word, in it you'll find the plan of God's salvation. In it you'll find and you'll recognize there is a wrath coming, but also the mercy of God that weaves right through the pages. God's way of rescue and plan of salvation. God's way of escape. And through the lens of his word, we can discern and understand the times in which we are living. We're living in 2021 and God is not asleep. He knows exactly what is going on. He's not threatened by the taunts of the enemy. He's not threatened by the minds of the world. He knows exactly what is going on. He knows your plans for the future. He knows everything, every single minute detail. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He hasn't missed, missed it. He knows what steps are about to unfold. He knows where all of this originated from. He knows how it began. He allowed it for whatever reason he chose. And when these things hit us, it raises multitudes of questions. What is God doing? It raises speculations. And often we can be full of questions that really are off the point. Or we can, we can see various patterns in God's word. We can see from things that we've been sent by some various questions that are coming to the surface. But are they valid questions? What this year and a half or so has done is is that it has forced us in a direction that many of us did not want to go. But it has been a necessary shaking. It has been necessary, and we will look back in time and see God's hand of mercy in it all. It may not seem like it at times. We may not be able to understand what is going on fully, but He knows, He understands, He knows it all. At times, the disciples, when they were with Jesus, they were on a different wavelength often. They were arguing about who's going to sit closest to Jesus. Or, in other words, they were seeing things with the natural eye. And these things are going on inside of our hearts. And God knows those things. And if we truly believe those things, we would be very careful how we occupy our, with our thoughts and our minds. But let's give you one example. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, 51, it says, And now it came to pass when the time had come for them, for him to be re received up, that he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. 
And he sent messengers before his face, and they went, and he entered a village, the village of the Samaritans, to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Bear in mind, the purpose of God is ongoing here. God is in control. There are things happening that the disciples don't fully understand. And that's today for us. There are things that are happening that we don't fully understand. But make no mistake, God is orchestrating and he's undertaking. And he has a strange way even of using, allowing circumstances as stepping stones to bring about his purpose. And in this account, uh, it, they did not receive him uh, the, among the Samaritans. And it says, when the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to come, command fire to come down from heaven to consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned to them and he said, and rebuked them and he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So you can see one example here how they were completely, they wanted to call fire down on them. The other example from, the, from God's word, and I'm sure there are, there are plenty other ones. It comes from Acts 1 verse 4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But he said, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For truly John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we see from these examples that James was wanting to call fire down from heaven. Other disciples were wondering, was this the time the kingdom was to be restored to Israel? What sort of questions are you asking today? What are you meditating upon are you guilty of some aspects of these things are we going to hit hyperinflation soon is the economy going to crash are we moving into the tribulation are we going to see the mark of the beast come to fore is jesus coming back soon saints god is in control in God's word, we find the rescue plan for humanity. We need to see it afresh. Not in just um, in our church going, but we need to see it afresh in our hearts. We need to see it alive in our hearts. What we've been called into. What God has called each one of us, if you're a born again, again believer, what God has actually called you into. That calling is to express and to, to display the Son of God alive, real. A God that can meet, a God that can save, a God that can set free. Not just a God that we meet here in the church building on a Sunday morning, but a God that can meet somebody out in the street, on the workplace, or wherever God has you as his ambassador. If you go right back even to Abraham, 
God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And he said to him in Genesis 15, 5, he said, and then he brought him outside and he said, look now towards heaven. And I'd encourage you this morning in, in, in the quietness of, look towards heaven. Look towards the impossible. Count the stars. If you're able to number the stars, try and do it someday. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. That's what he said to Abraham. Now it's 25 years past until that promise was fulfilled and the child was born. And, what, and I love the next verse. Just It thrills my heart. The next verse right, right there in, in the Old Testament, Genesis 15, verse 6, a verse that we all know, a verse that we've studied, I'm sure, a verse that, that many maybe rattle over, we can rattle over or just gloss over. And it says, he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. What has that got to do with a promise that God said, look up. He simply believed what God said and God gave him righteousness. He gave him an approach before Almighty God. He gave him righteousness that he could never have gained himself. And that's what he has done for us. If you're a born-again believer, you are part of God's eternal purpose. You are part of what's called redemption's plan. You are part of that. In Galatians 3.22, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Believer this morning, believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was a tutor or a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That's that word again. We've heard it in Sunday schools. We've prayed it. We've, we've read it. We've meditated upon it. This is God's plan of salvation. So that that law, that tutor, that schoolmaster brought us to that place of just utter abandonment that we cannot meet the righteous requirements of God. Remember what God said to Abraham when he believed him. Here we see in Galatians that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under. But you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That promise that God gave to Abraham means something to the believer. It means something to you and I. God blessed him. I think of Joseph, the type of Jesus, rejected by his own and betrayed. His own turned against him. What does he do? In God's eternal purpose, he goes and, and he marries a Gentile bride. That's a picture of us, the church, the foreigners. We have been grafted in. And it is in God, God's plan to consider 
that God has had mercy on you. He's had mercy on me. He doesn't want you just to go through religion. He wants you to experience life and to, to experience it to the full. If you're not experiencing it, it's not God's fault. Acts 15 verse 7 it says, And there was, had been much dispute rose up. Peter rose up and he said to them, Men and brethren, you know that, the, that a good while ago God chose among us that by the mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of, by, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. That there be no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. There it is again, purifying their hearts by faith. That you and I can stand before a holy and a righteous, awesome, almighty God, justified by faith in His Son. That's why you can come boldly. It's not because of a performance. It's not because you're in good form this morning. It's not because that you've done anything. You can stand and come boldly because what God says in His Word. I'm justified by faith. That's not some sort of um, repeat after me, easy believism type of scenario. This is meant to be real in your experience that you can approach Almighty God because of what Christ has done on the cross. That He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. I love that word, through the grace and divine influence of Jesus upon your life that transformed you and I from the inside out. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace that taught my heart to... Well, how's it go again? Grace, yeah, but grace my fears relieved. The precious revelation of what grace does inside, inside that changes and transforms a life. That is supernatural. Since we're not called to bring fire down from heaven. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy but to save. That time will come when it will all be wrapped up. But that's in God's hands. We can't restore the kingdom to Israel. That's also in God's hands. Here's another example in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent the king to Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place. For the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him. And he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, Will you show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord. O king, but Elisha, the prophet, <clears throat> who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. 
And so he said, go see where he is, that I might send, send and get him. And it was told, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he said, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And this servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I'm sure maybe you've cried that this past year. What is going on? What is going on? Why is the world reacting in such a way? Verse 16, and he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eyes and the young man and <clears throat> of the young man he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots afar all around Elisha. The servant said to Elisha, Alas, master, what shall we do? Maybe you said something like that. Maybe you're perplexed in your own heart. Maybe... You don't understand what's going on. Maybe you're just watching everybody else and see how they react and, and fall in behind that <clears throat> approach. You might say, in this instance, that <clears throat> the servant most likely was probably Gehazi. He didn't, his life wasn't too, didn't turn out too well. And I think often what is going on inside will eventually be revealed. But in, in this particular instance, you might say, well, the servant, he saw the miracles. He saw Elisha, double portion of the blessing of Elijah. He lived with the man of God. He saw the miracles. He saw the healings. He heard the wisdom coming from this man of God. He witnessed Naaman being healed. He saw the Shunammite woman being raised from the dead. He saw it. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can hide behind that comfort. We can hide behind, and, oh, that... That's a great word. I'm, uh, did you hear this message or did you hear that message? Did you see what this brother so-and-so was saying? And we can hide behind that. And we can even sound spiritual. So often we can have that approach and we might say, well, this, this, he had Elisha and he, he was able to ask him and Elisha gave him an answer. And he, he opened his eyes. You know, even as Christians, we need our eyes opened. Not by... Some link we've been sent, but we need our eyes open by the Spirit of God. Eyes open in context to where God has us, not some other part of the world. We're living here. God has us here. Where you're living, your address, God has you there for a purpose. You're linked with this church for a purpose. I'm linked with the church down in the south for a purpose because God has everything under control. And we need to cry out to God that He would open our eyes. One might say, well, maybe we need, a, we need a great prophet to be in our midst. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, he said in chapter 7, verse 26, he says, But what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and even more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of a woman, there is not greater prophet than John the Baptist. Not greater prophet. Than, this, this is what Jesus said. 
But the very last part of that verse, listen to this. He said, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What's God's, what is he saying here? Is he saying that if you say, for example, you feel you're the least in the kingdom of God. If you're born again of the spirit of God, you're in the kingdom of God. Is, is Jesus saying you're greater than John the Baptist? What is he saying with this particular scripture? It, it perplexed me for a long time, that particular verse. What, is, is Jesus running down John the Baptist? Absolutely not. He was called for a particular purpose, to cry in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make crooked paths straight. Short ministry, they say he lasted maybe six months and he lost his head. I don't know how long we have on this earth. We, we are all here for a purpose. Our times are in his hand. But Jesus said, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. They're his words, not mine. What does it mean? Truthfully. Now, I don't believe character-wise many of us are fit to tie John the Baptist's shoelaces. But it's positionally. We are in a, a far greater position than all of the prophets combined. Bring Elijah, bring Moses, bring John the Baptist, bring them all in the door. But one greater than he is Jesus. Hallelujah. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are in a greater position than John the Baptist was. He was called for a particular purpose. And that's not running down John the Baptist's purpose. It was a great prophet. He was a great prophet. Chosen of God for a particular purpose. But if you're feeling like the least in the kingdom of God. If you're feeling war, worn down, broken. I, I'm too tired for this. I let it to somebody else. I'm weary. I can't face it any longer. It's just going over my head. The Bible says Jesus' words. He says he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So you have a position of access with Almighty God that is far better than all of the prophets combined. Remember that account when the veil was torn in two from the top down. It was God did that, not me. It was God did it. He ripped it apart. Such was the sufficiency of the finished work of the cross. Jesus expired on that cross. He gave up his spirit willingly. And after God raised him from the dead, he tore that veil apart. So now you and I have a position far greater than all of the prophets combined. So if you're feeling down, if you're feeling God's rejected you or there's no hope, that's saying to God in a, side, in a roundabout way that the finished work of the cross is not enough. And that's the lie of the devil. The blood of Jesus cleanses the deepest sin. There is hope in God. Nowhere in the Bible does it encourage you not to believe God. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Sin had hardened their hearts. That's why they couldn't enter in. And that's what hardens our hearts, folks. It's sin. It's the, the repetition of just going through the motions. Just the same dead ritual in and out and in and out. But that's not God's will for your life. God wants you to experience the life that this book talks about. It's there if we search for it with all of our hearts. But if we're not searching for it with all of our hearts, we'll not find it. 
unless God supernaturally intervenes in a, in a supernatural way. But if you search for God with all of your heart, you will find him. But you can cry out to God on the greatest platform that Almighty God has given you. And that's the crowns of the cross. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not arrogantly, but boldly standing upon the word of God. Hebrews says, seeing then we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. We have the greatest high priest. There's no other greater than Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He is our high priest. He's mine and he's yours. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confidence in him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. In other words, Jesus, he, it's like saying, God, he can't sympathize with me. I failed him so much, I can't do it. It's too hard, it's too, it's impossible. But it, in God, through Jesus, it is possible. Because in him, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We are not called to run this race in our own strength. We are called to run it by God's grace, by his supernatural ability that can lift you supernaturally to give you help and grace to what you cannot do naturally. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He, he doesn't want us to have a pity party, feeling sorry for ourselves. That's an indictment against the work of the cross. That's like saying, God, it's not enough, but it is enough. It is. But in all points he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. I can't understand that. All points tempted, yet without sin. We have a perfection that we can put on. Not a license to sin. Not, not, not a, an easy sort of casual approach. But we have... A, garments of righteousness that the Son of God has given us. If we would just have faith and abandon ourselves to Him. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Oh God, give us spiritual discernment in these days. He who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is, that's what the Bible says. This is what God's word says. This is his blessed word that he has given us. We have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? It means that we can appropriate Christ's mind on situations. We can look at things with our natural mind and we can completely be off. But because God's word says that we are, have the mind of Christ, we can appropriate this. We, can access, we have access to this thinking because he is the head and we are the body. Our natural bodies. The communication comes from our head and filters down to our bodies. Our head tells our bodies what to do. If we are walking with God, if we are rightly related to God, being, it's being honest with God. 
It's when we hide sin in our hearts that God cannot hear our cries because we're not being honest with him. It's like if you've got an injury down in your arm, you're blocking the blood flow from reaching that injury. That's what we do when we're being dishonest with God. But when we're honest with God, that's released and the blood flows. It brings the nutrients and the cleansing that we need as believers every day of our lives that we can walk by faith. I am justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He is my argument. He is my strong reason. He's my plea before Almighty God. And I am a son or a daughter of the King because God says I am. Hallelujah for the cross. That is our argument and that is our plea. And standing in that comes the evidence of life inside. The change takes place inside. If it's real, it will have real fruit. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Too often we're asking the wrong questions. Too often we're caught up in different situations, looking, wanting to hear what so-and-so has to say. The world's problems are, are a result of sin. And it doesn't have the cure. But we know someone who has the cure, the antidote for sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, the holy blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a potent cure for sin. It cleanses the deepest sin. Makes you as white as snow. Oh, let us rejoice in this. There is deliverance. There is healing in the finished work of the cross. That is God's great reset. Hallelujah. That is God's answer to this society. There is life there. There is power there. But maybe, maybe we just need to blow the dust of religion off of our Bibles and see it again in reality. If it affected you 30 years ago, it can affect you today. Because God is the same. We cannot live on past experiences. We've got to live in the today. We've got to be reminded of past experience to remind us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal and his salvation can keep us. Hallelujah for the cross. It's a wonderful salvation. Are you glad you're saved? If you're not born again here this morning, if you don't know Christ, you can know him. Cast your heart, your life upon what he has done for you. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you need him. And you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Maybe you've gone dull of heart. Maybe you've been sidetracked. Maybe you've been distracted. God wants you filled with his Holy Spirit. It's the will of God that you see words of wisdom in operation in the church. It's the will of God for the word of knowledge to be in operation. It's the will of God to see miracles in the church. It's the will of God to see healings in the church. It's the will of God to see other tongues spoken in the church and interpretation of tongues. That's God's will. It's his will for today. We need the power of God in our lives. It's there. Let's cry out to God and believe God for it, for the days ahead, for today and tomorrow and the days ahead that God has chosen us. He's not saying, giving us his salvation, saying do the best you can. He, he went with them. He confirmed the word of God with signs following. He confirmed the word of God. Surely it's time for God's word to be confirmed today in our lives. When you're, when you're on the workplace or in, in the college or wherever God has you, that he would anoint something that you're able to speak into somebody's life that nobody else knows except the Spirit of God. 
We've, we've too often we've, we've been guilty of just formalizing the gospel or repeat after, the, after me or some sort of a the theological, make sure you hit every point. But the born again experience is supernatural. It's supernatural. When I called upon God, when, I, when God revealed in my heart that, he, that his son had died for me, I began to see it. I, it began to be revealed inside. I said, I do believe it, Lord, with all of my heart. But I was stretching out for some sort of experience. Always trying to bring God down or reach for him in the skies. But it's so near, it's in your heart. It's simply to believe what God has done. It's not a thunder and lightning entrance into the kingdom. It's a supernatural experience that God does inside your heart that changes you. And you're never the same again. You're never the same. Hallelujah for the cross. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah. Glory to God.